Point Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information, stalk us on Facebook at The Point Online or visit our website at thepointchurch.net. Now here's our message from God's Word. Uh, good stuff. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, men. Years ago, an elderly multimillionaire was on his deathbed, and he gathered three of his closest friends to him, and he says, guys, I've talked to my pastor. He says, you can't take it with you. He says, but just in case, I want to have a little bit of my wealth with me, just in case. And so he hands each of his three friends an envelope with $100,000 in cash in it, and he says, here's what I want you to do. Obviously, I'm going to die. I don't know whether I've got weeks or months or years, but I'm going to die soon. And I want you to come to the funeral, and right before they close the casket, I want you to simply put this envelope of cash in there with me, just in case. Well, they agree to do it, and certainly enough, this this guy does die. And all three friends go to the funeral, and they're there attending to it, listening to the, all the accomplishments of this man. And, and as the funeral wraps up, right before the mortician closes the casket, each of those three friends go up to it and they slip that envelope inside the casket. Well, the burial service is over, and the three friends are walking away from the burial site. And one of them turns to the other two and says, guys, I got a confession to make. I had a load of credit card debt and... And so I only, I only put 50000 in there with him. And the other one says, man, I'm so glad you said something because, you know, I, I had this huge investment opportunity, and so I only put 25000 in there with him. And the third guy turns to his two friends and says, you two ought to be ashamed of yourselves. I put inside that coffin my personal check for $100,000. Anytime you're leaving money, you're going to create some drama. It happened to Jesus, right? Jesus is teaching, and he's got this crowd. Really, the Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, if you've got your message notes or your Bibles, you can see it there. It says that there was a crowd of thousands upon thousands, like 10,000 people. And it says the crowd was so large, they were crushing each other. It's kind of like going to a general admission concert. You ever been to one? Right, the people are just pressing onto you from every side. Some girl's throwing up on your shoes, right? She had too many wine coolers. Somebody else is, you know, trying to film the whole thing, so their iPhone is constantly in front of your point of view, right? Somebody's yelling out requests, you know, Jesus, play Beatitudes, play Prodigal Son, play Freebird, right? It's kind of it's like that, right? But not. I mean, it's chaotic. And it's in the midst of this massive crowd that Jesus starts to teach, And he uses, as he teaches, the word hypocrisy. And when he does, he triggers somebody in the crowd. You ever been triggered by a word? He uses this word, and this man, man, he immediately goes to his family situation, and he cries out in the middle of the service. Think about it. Somebody right now just yelled out, you know, what this man yelled. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide my father's inheritance with me, right? He, he just says, you know, hey, I got a hypocrite in my family. I, I'm, I'm going to call him out right now. 
And I love Jesus' response. Because Jesus doesn't take the bait. You know, sometimes when somebody asks you for your opinion, right, you're just kind of drawn into it. You want to give your opinion. I know I'd be a sucker for this, but Jesus wasn't a sucker for it. Jesus says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? In other words, Jesus says, look, you want to pursue this? Pursue it in the courts. You want to pursue this? Go to a judge. But, but I have a mission, and your family issue, it isn't it. And so this man, you know, he's probably the younger brother of the two. He had an older brother. Usually that's who got the, how many guys are oldest siblings? You'd be the one that get all the money, right? That's just the way it worked uh, 2,000 years ago, right? And so this, these younger brothers, I mean, they're wanting their share. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not on mission. That's not why I came. And so he points that out. But then he says something right amidst these words that helps us to understand that Jesus knew what was really going on inside that man's family. That's what I want us to point to is a warning and then a parable. The warning you'll find in verse 15. Jesus, he says these words. He says, watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. Underline that last word, greed. Jesus knows what's going on in this family. This family has been hit by the coronavirus called greed, right? It has infected this family. It has spread, and we don't know whether it was just this, this guy who's yelling out in the middle of a church service, right? We don't know whether he's the greedy one or whether his older brother was the greedy one, but someone in this family has got the greed virus. And what we're going to learn today is it doesn't take having a bunch of money to have the greed virus. Sometimes... You can have no money at all and have the greed virus. Money's indifferent to greed. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll read about the Old Testament heroes, the, the wealthiest guys in the Old Testament, guys like Abraham or Job, had enormous sums of money. Jeff Bezos kind of money. Bill Gates, uh, Warren Buffett kind of money. And yet you never read that Job or Abraham were greedy men. Never once do you see it. In other words, sometimes you can have money and not be infected by this virus called greed. And sometimes you can have nothing, as we're about to learn today, and be very, very infected by greed. In other words, this is not a simplistic issue. Greed, it, it seems like it's simple, but it's not. It's why Jesus has to say, watch out. It's not simple like, well, if you have money, then you're a bad person. And if you don't have money, then you're probably never going to have any greed issues. It's not like that. That's why Jesus has to yell, watch out. Do you see it? He says, watch out. Guard yourself. Let me ask you, when do you have to tell somebody, watch out? I'm driving over into Jefferson Point, into the entrance over by Panera. And I'm in my little car, and I'm driving into the entrance, and all of a sudden, my right tire disappears into a pothole the size of the Grand Canyon. I mean, it just, poof, just jarred me. I didn't see it. What Jesus is saying is, hey, there's a pothole coming called greed. You don't see it, right? It's invisible to you. You've got a blindness to it. Here's the problem with greed. The problem with greed is my blindness to it. Would you write that down? Blindness is inherent 
in greed. You don't see materialism in yourself. You don't see greed in yourself. This is why he has to say, watch out. It's because they're by their very nature, greed and materialism, they hide from us. We don't see it. You know, I was thinking the other day, I, I don't know anywhere in the scripture where it says, watch out for adultery. Nowhere. Is it because adultery isn't as bad as greed? Isn't as destructive as greed? Is that why we're not to watch out for adultery? No, it's because adultery is pretty obvious. Well, greed isn't. I mean, you kind of know if you're committing adultery. Greed? You know, that's, a, that's a disease that you catch and you're walking around with it and you just don't know. It's hard to know if you've got yourself into this equally soul-destroying sin of greed. That's why he has to say, watch out. Because nobody who is greedy feels like they're greedy. Nobody who is materialistic feels like they're the materialistic one. It's probably one of the reasons why Jesus speaks about money ten times more than he speaks about sex. You know, because sex has slain its thousands, but greed, it's tens of thousands. You know, I was reflecting on this the other day, thinking, you know, over the years, I, I've literally had hundreds of teenagers and adults come to me going, Ray, I got a problem with sex. But never once, not ever, have I had anybody walk to, up to me and sit down in my office or just over a cup of coffee and go, you know, Ray, I got a problem with greed. Why is that? It's because we're blind to it. Why are we blind to it? What is it that's causing this blindness in us? Years ago, right before I left California to come to Indiana, one of my friends handed me an economics book. Any of your friends hand you economics books? Yeah, you have better friends than me, right? They're boring, right? Economics books are boring. And I'm like, oh, great. I got some, uh, you know, cure for my insomnia. I, I just read this. It, it's a book called The Overspent American. And I thought for sure he handed it to me because, you know, I like marketing and advertising and I got some education in that. And I thought, well, he's, this is a book that's going to blame all of America's overspending on the marketers and the advertisers. Or it's going to blame it on consumer debt. You know, I thought, well, this is probably an easy read. When I started to read it, I realized why he gave it to me. The author of the book doesn't point to our access to money, to our debt. He doesn't point to all the great ads that are out for the products that are out there. No, he says the reason that over the last 30, 40 years, Americans have quickly begun to overspend themselves is because for the first time in our history, we can see how the other half lives. Before the, the social circles, right, the social classes, they were separate. You never knew how somebody with a lot of money lived. You didn't know how somebody that was really poor lived. When, when I grew up, I didn't know that there were fancy restaurants, the only restaurant I've been to had those golden arches, right? That's our family restaurant. That and the one with the, the red hut, right? You know what I'm talking about? Those are the two restaurants that our family went to, right? My mom made meals at home. That's what we ate. I didn't know fancy restaurants existed. But now, today, with the advent of social media, right, people take pictures of their food, right? With the advent of social media, we can see Right, how other people live, we rub shoulders with people who make more than we do, who make less than we do. And so now a person who makes five figures knows how a person who makes six figures lives. Now a person who makes six figures a year, they know how, how a person with seven figures, eight figures lives because we have access to people. We rub shoulders with the other. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing 
right? That the social classes have disintegrated and we live amongst each other and there's this economic diversity. That's a good thing, but one of the bad things because of it is that now we think they're the ones with the problem. When greed comes along, we think, well, it can't be talking about us, right? I've seen how they live, how they waste their money. This is why Jesus warns that wealth is a very deceptive thing. And so we read, he says, you got to watch out. You know, the the book that my friend gave me, one of the statements in it said that two-thirds of Americans who make more than $100,000 a year believe that they don't have enough money to meet their basic needs. Let's let that sit in for a minute. That's 20 years old. It's probably now people that make $250,000 do not think that they have enough to meet their basic needs. You know, I thought about that, and I thought, here we are. This book's describing the, the wealthiest people in the wealthiest nation, and they think they don't have enough to meet their basic needs. And I go back 2,000 years to what Jesus was saying in that crowd that was pressing in on each other, right? And I think if Jesus said to that crowd, it was in the poverty of Galilee, right? This was not Rome, right? This was not a metropolis. These were people who were dirt poor. If Jesus looked into that crowd of thousands and thousands of people and he thought it possible that in the midst of their poverty, that greed could be taking root in the hearts and the lives of the people such to the point where he would actually address it in a sermon, how much more is it true today in the richest nation this world has ever known? Jesus says, watch out. I love Jesus because when Jesus tells us to watch out, he doesn't just do like you and I say, hey, watch out, and then walk away. No, he says, watch out, and he says, here's what to watch for. Here's things to watch for. And I love how he communicates it because he doesn't just give us a list, like watch out for this, watch out for that, watch out for that. Here's a quick list, which we would forget really quick. Now, what does he do? He puts the things to watch out for in a story. That's why I love this series called Parables. They're the stories of Jesus Christ, and he tells us a story, and that story sticks with us. Here's the story that he tells, and inside the story are the things to watch out for. Look with me at verse 16. He says, I tell you a parable. A certain rich man, his land produced this bountiful crop. He's a successful farmer. He said to himself, hey, what do I do? I've got no place to store my harvest. How about that problem? Let's translate it. How many of you guys would like to have so much money, you don't have a big enough wallet to hold it? So much money that when you go to the bank, the bank says, I'm sorry, sir, you're going to take some of that money to another bank. We can't hold any more of your money. This is the kind of problem this guy has. Anybody want the problem? It's a good problem, right? He's, I got no place to store my harvest. And then this farmer thought, well, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, my bank. I'll build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you've stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Hey, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy yourself. But then God says to him, fool. I mean, God didn't go around calling people fool a lot. We got to pay attention. He's calling them fool. Tonight, you're going to die. Now who's going to get the stuff that you prepared for yourselves? This is the way it's going to be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich towards God. In this parable, Jesus gives us the signs of greed. Not the definition. We know the definition. We know that greed is making money too important to yourself. 
No, he gives us what we need. What we need is we've, we've already established is we don't know where the lines are. Like, is this greedy and this not? Or is greed way over here? He starts to paint the lines so that we understand when we've crossed them. Hey, here are some signs that you've entered into a greedy lifestyle. Because greed is this virus that has lots of different sub-viruses that point to it. And he gives us six different strains, different types of greed. The first of which is in verse 18. The man says, you know what I got to do? I got so much money. I got so much grain. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. What's he doing? You ever have somebody saying, you know, I got so much. You know, I have two cars, but now I don't have a garage big enough. I need a three-car garage. It's kind of what he's saying. I got so much that I need more just to hold it. He's gloating. Would you write this down? Gloating is the first sign that you've crossed the line into greed. I would call it the New England Patriots version of greed. <laughs> right? I got so many Super Bowl rings, I need another hand to hold them. This is that kind of greed. Right? Gloating greed. Now, here's the second one. It's in verse 22. Right after he tells the story, he starts teaching. This is Jesus' style. He says to the disciples, hey, I just told you the story. Therefore, I'm telling you guys, don't worry about life, what you're going to eat, what your, your body's going to wear. There's more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. This is the flip side of gloating. It's worrying. Worrying about where your next buck is coming from. It's worrying about food, worrying about clothes, worrying about your standard of living. Jesus says, look, when you set your heart on material things like that, when you're worrying about where your next buck is coming from, you have the same problem that the gloater has. It's just a different strain of greed. It's a line called worrying. I would call it the Cleveland Browns version of greed, <laughs> Right? I want a Super Bowl ring, I want a Super Bowl ring, but I'm afraid I'm not even going to win a game this year, right? It's, it's, it's the Browns. It's right here in the Bible, right? It's here. In other words, when we worry that we won't have enough stuff, it's the same as bragging that we've got so much. They're different strains of the same virus called greed. And what this means, and we've got to be careful, is Jesus is saying, look, it's possible for you to have a lot of money and not be greedy. And it's also possible for you to be greedy and have no money at all. You see it? Right? In fact, he comes out and says it in verse 29. Don't chase after what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Stop worrying. Worrying about money is just as bad about as gloating about it. The money is how much you have is, isn't important to the conversation. It's your attitude towards it. Are you gloating? Are you worrying? Now, I, I love... What Jesus says in that warning, I think it's so important for us to, to kind of think for just a moment about it. He says, I warn you, right? Watch out. He says, be on your guard against what? All kinds of greed. In other words, there's more than just one strain. This virus called greed, it's got sub-viruses. And I think as we think about that, it helps us to understand why sometimes we can look at somebody else and go, I know, man, that guy's so greedy. He's always gloating. And we don't see it in ourselves because we've got a different strain of the same virus. We're worrying, thinking somebody else is greedy. Well, they're gloating. 
And they're looking at us thinking, look at how much they worry about money. They're constantly, I mean, we see the sin in each other, but we don't see it in ourselves. That's why he has to say, watch out. Let me give you the third strain of this virus called greed. And we know we've crossed the greed line. When, when this rich guy says in verse 19, I'll say to myself, right, he's talking in his own head. This is his psychology. He, you've stored up. He's telling himself, I've stored up so, many, so much stuff. I've got enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. In other words, this man wants control of his life. He wants to control every little aspect, so he saves up money, he saves up stuff, so that nothing can hit him in his life that's going to take him out of control. This is a condition called hoarding. And you guys watch hoarders? <laughs> you sick people, you, right? <laughs> you know, these people are storing up all this stuff. What are they doing? They're saying, look, a situation might come where I need that Amazon box that they shipped to me 15 years ago. Right? The situation might come where I need that bubble wrap or I need that tissue that I used two weeks ago. A situation might come. They're trying to stay in control by hoarding stuff. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't find security in hoarding a bunch of stuff because there's stuff that can happen to you that your stuff isn't going to solve. Like, your stuff isn't going to solve a broken relationship. In fact, sometimes relationships get broken because of stuff. Your stuff isn't going to solve a medical issue. And Jesus goes to the, the granddaddy of them all. He says, hey, your stuff ain't going to solve death. You can't control everything. And then he gives us, from the animal kingdom, the flip side of hoarding. It, it, Jesus is great it, when, he do, when he teaches like this. It, he's great all the time, but he's really great when he teaches like this. He, he says, consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest or have silos or barns, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. Aren't you glad Jesus says you're worth more than a bird? But think about the bird he picks. I love the bird that he picks. He picks the raven. Are you kidding me? Are you know what a raven is? A raven is a rat with wings. That's what a raven is. Right? They're, they're the scurrying little creatures that you decorate your house at Halloween with, right? The ravens, right? Edgar Allan Poe, kind of scary birds. I mean, nobody has a pet raven. You don't go to the zoo to see the raven. You don't go bird watching for ravens. They're pet rats. I mean, they're not even pets. They're just rats with wings. And Jesus says, they're not worried about where their next meal comes from. God takes care of them. He can take care of you. All right, here's the fourth sign that we've crossed the greed line. We've got this other strain of virus in us. It's verse 27. He says, notice how the lilies grow. And you can almost picture him there in the field and maybe there's a lily that hasn't been trampled yet by this crowd and he's almost touching it. Hey, notice how this lily grows? They don't wear themselves out. You ever see a flower wear itself out? They don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. And if God dresses the grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, how much more will God do for you? What he's talking about here is image management. The fact that some of us use money to try to make ourselves look attractive to other people, right? We'll buy status clothes, we'll buy status symbols, status jewelry, wear status scents, you know, drive status cars, live in status homes, all to project an image that we are put together. Right? We're, we're trying to make people like us, except for when you see this, what do you think? I mean, what's the ironic part of this? Somebody's trying to be liked, and they've got all this status stuff, but what do you think? What an arrogant fool. We look at that, and we go, nah, that's kind of a turn off. That's not a turn on. And yet they're trying to buy the status. 
All right. It's like this. When, when you look to money for security, you hoard it. And when you look to money for beauty, you overspend. Because, I mean, you saw yourself in the mirror this morning, right? Trying to make yourself look more attractive. It's going to take some bucks, right? It's going to take some dollars. It's going to take a lot of them. And here's the crazy thing. While, while one party is watching the other party, while somebody's, you know, in the hoarders episode, we're watching that. They're going, oh, look at those idiots storing up all that stuff. The hoarders are going, look at those idiots spending all that money on themselves. They're still ugly, you know? <laughs> it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Do you see it? You got people that are gloating. You got people that are worrying. You got people that are hoarding, and you got people that are using money for image management. Jesus is giving us all these different variations of the same issue. He's saying, look, you cross the line into one of these, you got a problem with greed. Then he gives us two more, right? Here's the fifth sign of greed. He says, don't chase after what you'll eat and what you'll drink. Don't worry. All the nations of the world long for these. And then we see in the lilies illustration, he says, the lilies don't wear themselves out with work. Lilies aren't working, right? This is number five. It's overworking. Oh, this one's us. <laughs> this one's us. We're clocking the hours, right? We've got to make more money, so we're going to work more, more hours. It, it's not the overspent American anymore. It's the overworking American because they've already overspent and they've got to pay Visa back. This is the situation. We want to buy stuff. We go out on credit. We get the stuff, and now we've got to work to pay it back plus interest. It's overworking. It's a sign of greed. Here's the sixth sign, verse 33. He says, sell your possessions, give those to need, give to those in need, make wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. This is under giving. Giving, it's a vital part of the Christian life. I mean, it's just what Christians do. We're Christians, we follow the greatest giver ever, gave his life. We follow God who gave his son. I mean, we follow the Holy Spirit who he gives us his presence. We follow the giver of God, and, and so we want to be like him, so we give. It's just a part of being a Christian. But here's the other interesting thing about giving. When you give, it governs your greed. Let me say that again. When you give, it's like a governor on your materialism. You give, and so you're, you're not so tempted uh, to cross the line into materialism. I, I'm headed to Indianapolis. Oh, this is a while back, but on the way I'm headed there, uh, I got my boys with me, and we stop at this go-kart track. Uh, as we're going down, they had super fast go-karts. We were attracted. We're a bunch of guys. And, and the cars were really fast, except for the car I got. I got like the dog on the track. You ever go go-karting and you get the dog? I got the dog. This car just would not go. And so my boys loved it, right? They're in their cars. Some of them don't even drive. don't even have licenses. And they're going around the go-kart track and they're lapping me. And my car's like, mm. Finally, you know, the race is over. My kids are giving me a hard time. Dad, your car's so slow. You're so slow. You don't know how to drive. We, we should be driving, you know, to Indy. And they're giving me a hard time. And the attendant, he, he leans down, and he messes with something in the engine. I can kind of feel it. I'm still in this car, lined up for the second race. And he leans over, and into my ear he says, Sir, you ain't going to have any problem in the next race. I said, what are you talking about? He says, I just took the governor off your engine. 
You, you know what they do uh, to keep, you know, your eight-year-old from killing himself is they put these things that slow your engine down, right? But he took mine off. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> the next two races, my kids were eating my dust, right? Lapping them, moving around the track. Listen, Jesus is saying, look, when you give, it, it serves as a governor on your spending, right? You're, you're spending too fast. You're going around the corners too much. You're, you're out of control in this area of materialism in your life. And when you give, it reminds you why God's giving you that money in the first place. It serves as a governor on your greed. Now, I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that Jesus said something quite radical here. I don't want to skip it or play it down because what he said was radical. He told uh, this impoverished group of people, sell your possessions and give to those in need. I don't take away from the radical nature of that command, but I do want to tell you that back in the first century, they didn't have banks. There's no place to store up your money like, like we have. They got a paycheck, a regular income. You know, they go to work and somebody gave them some coins so they could go buy food. And they had some assets. They might have had a house. They might have had some clothes. And what Jesus does is he looks into the eyes of this crowd, 10,000 of them, and says, look, I'm not just asking you to give a portion of your income. I'm asking you to sell some of your stuff. I'm asking you to liquidate some of your investments. I'm asking you to live and give radically. That's what he's saying. To lower your net worth. And if we can't fathom that, then Jesus is saying you may have a problem with greed. Let me sum these up. Jesus says you might have a problem with greed if you're gloating about it. That one seems obvious. You might have a problem with greed if you're worrying about it. Doesn't seem so obvious. Jesus says you might have a problem with greed if you're hoarding money. That seems obvious. You might have a problem with greed if you're doing some image management. Semi-obvious. Jesus says, you might have a problem with greed if you're overworking. That one's hard to see. You might have a problem with greed if you're underspending. That one's tough to see. Excuse me, undergiving. That one's tough to see. Do you see yourself in any of these signs? I mean, don't do this. Don't look at the person next to you or the guy on stage <laughs> and go, ah, I know what his issue is. Because the teaching of the scripture is also meant for you. As you look into the mirror of the scriptures, and that's what it is, is a mirror on our lives. As we look into the mirror of this story, which sign, which strain of the virus has got a hold of you? And if you've got it, what's the cure? If you've got it, what's the antidote? Well, again, that's why we love Jesus, because Jesus doesn't just point out problems. He also gives us solutions, right? And he says this. It's incredible in his teaching. As he wraps up this teaching with this crowd, he tells them, don't be afraid, little flock. I love that Jesus thinks 10,000 people is a little flock. I mean, don't be afraid, little flock, he says, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. Underline that last phrase. <clears throat> Jesus does not say that the cure, the antidote to greed, comes from you giving money to his kingdom. He doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say you can buy your way in. You'd think about this, any other Messiah would be doing that. But he doesn't say that. He says, while you've been on this crazy, greedy, binging on money, kind of greedy uh, path of life, while you've been you know, just working and working and working and focusing on dollars, my Heavenly Father 
is standing right in front of you, leaning towards you with an open hand, saying, here's the keys of the kingdom. In other words, the God who owns everything. The God who made the stars, the supernovas, the galaxies, the God who made the universe, this planet, and everything in it, says, look, I have all this stuff. Here's my kingdom. I own it all. And you know what? I give it to you. Because I don't treasure this stuff. Listen to this. What God says he treasures is you. You are God's treasure. It's 1 Peter 2.9. You are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You are God's treasure. And so the antidote to greed is to realize that the God who owns it all, he's the one that treasures you so much, he gave you his son. The antidote to greed is to realize that Jesus Christ, right, he gave up everything for you. He left heaven, in the riches of heaven, to come to an impoverished area called Galilee, to Bethlehem, to Nazareth, to Judea, Jerusalem. I mean, these are not like Mecca cities. This is not where you'd want to move in if you were coming to visit earth. You'd want to go see a real city, not the dirt poor ones. But he comes and has nothing. And what does he say? He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not even a pillow, no place to lay his head. No home, no bed, no bedroom, nothing. He leaves everything, gives up everything, gives up heaven, gives up status, gives up even his relationship with his Father. Remember on the cross? He says, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gives up everything. Jesus is doing exactly what he's challenging this crowd to do. He says, look, sell it off. Give it to the poor. He looks at you and I as the treasure, and he says, but you're, you've got an impoverished heart, and you need me to give you my greatest treasure. And so he gives us forgiveness because he sold it all off. Listen, Jesus is saying, if, if you had any idea how valuable you were to the creator of the universe... It would change everything about how you believe about money. If you knew how much you were treasured, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, if you, you registered that thought that he gave it all up for you, that he's holding the keys to the kingdom out for you, you wouldn't chase money anymore. You'd chase after him. Here, here's a thought for you. Every one of us treasures something something super important to us. Whether it's an athletic team or money or, or whether it's a relationship, there is something that you treasure. And every treasure that you hold out there, except for Jesus Christ, will require that you sacrifice for it. That's what treasures are. They're things we sacrifice for. Except for what he's pointing out here is that he's the only treasure that's ever sacrificed for you. which if you think it through means you're the real treasure. The God of the universe looks at you and says, I treasure you. And I'm telling you, if there was a church that had 50 or 100 or 150 people that truly believed that, if there was a church 
that truly believe they're so treasured by God that God is handing them the keys to the kingdom. Every, every need they have is going to be met through him. They would change their city. They would change their world. There was a church like that in the first century. You look at Acts chapter 2 when you get home and you watch what they did. They did exactly what Jesus is saying here. They sold their stuff and they met the needs and the church exploded. Why does that have to be 2,000 years ago? Why can't that be here at this church this time? What if over the next three years we were a people that said, you know what, we're going to get ourselves out of debt so that we can free up our resources to meet the needs of the people that live in our city. What if we were the ones who God says, hey, I treasure you so much, I want to reach the rest of the treasures in this city. What if it was us that he began to work through like he worked through that first church in Acts chapter 2? He could, if we would. He treasures us. It's the other side of the equation that matters most. Will we treasure him? I love these stories. Maybe today's story hits you, or, or maybe you go, okay. That was a parable for somebody else. Would you join me in prayer? I want to keep coming back to this question. It's a question we've been asking all through January and February, and now we're into a new month. I want to ask it again. Would you follow Jesus today? Would you follow him? Would you give him your life? I want to give you the opportunity to connect to him right now by talking to him. He was the greatest teacher ever, but he was more than that. He was someone that did everything he taught about. He was somebody that led by example, and he was somebody that died for you. Would you talk to him right now? I, I'm just going to lead out in prayer, and I want you to pray a prayer, but you could just talk to God. Like, like, like sometimes you talk in your mind. Just, just talk to him. Say, Lord God, I need you. I give you my life. Would you say that? Say, guide me, God. Lead me. Love me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, for leaving the riches of heaven to come to this impoverished planet, for dying on the cross in my place. Tell him, today I accept your gift of forgiveness for me. Show me the path for my life. Would you pray that simple prayer to say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to follow you. Just pray right now in the silence of your heart. Jesus, forgive me. I want to follow you. Listen, when you pray that prayer and you mean it, whether you feel it or not, God says, I've now adopted you. You're in my family. And something deep starts to happen in you. You realize something eternal has occurred in your life. You recognize, man, I'm a child of God. I'm a treasure. And if you prayed that prayer right now, I just want to pray for you as you begin this new relationship with God, as you, you begin your childhood with Him. And so if you pray this prayer, would you just do one simple thing for me right now? Would you just raise up your hand and say, yeah, Ray, I, I prayed that prayer. Several over here on my left, your right. One, two, three, four. How about here in the middle? Would you raise your hand? Just put it up high so I can see. One, two, three, four. Several in the back. Six, seven. Yes, sir, I see that. And over here, yes, on my right, your left. One, two, three, four, five. Man, God is at work in your life. He's at work in the heart of this church. And let me just pray this blessing over you. <clears throat> God, I thank you for every single hand that went up. God, let them sense your love, your, that you treasure them. Let them be changed by your truth.
Let them be led by your guidance. Surround them again, God, with people that will encourage them to live out the prayer that they just prayed. And Lord, help them to understand that they're a part of your family, not just this church family, but the family of God eternal. People of all ages, all times, all races, all generations, they're a part of the greatest family that's ever been. Help them get that sense that they're not just connected to you, they're connected to all your children and help them, God, as they look at stories like the one that we look today, help them see the truth inside of them. And Jesus, on behalf of all of us here today, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for treasuring us. When you went to the cross, you had no home, no money, no organization, no PR. You'd given it all up. You'd given up everything. Well, everybody around you, God, it was greedily stuffing their barns full, their, their wallets full. You're emptying yourself and dying a, a horrible death for us. And because you did, you became the most influential, most transformational man who has ever walked this planet. And in all that influence, and in all that transformation, you look at us and say, it's you that I cared about you that I treasure. Jesus, would you help us get that? Would you help us to know it's not a sin to be rich and have nice things, but we're to live with open hands. We're to treasure you, not anything else. In fact, right now, all of you, would you just let Jesus know that's where you stand? Would you say, Jesus, I treasure you, nothing else? Would you say that in the privacy of your mind? Jesus, I treasure you, nothing else. My life, my stuff, my money, it's all yours treasure you the rest is just stuff God govern my stuff move me in in a way that honors you I know that you are my treasure I know that you've treasured me and I know that I want to treasure you back in the same way thank you Jesus for all that you do for us may we do it for others as you've done it for us Christ's name we pray and everybody said thanks for listening to this teaching from the Point Church for more information or to learn how to support this ministry head to facebook.com slash the point online or check out our website at thepointchurch.net